This is Pastor Scott Hidman from Clovis Hills Community Church, and you are listening to the Clovis Hills Podcast. You are about to hear from one of our teaching pastors here at Clovis Hills. I want to encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app where you can follow along with today's notes, submit a prayer request, or give to the ministry of this church. I hope today's message encourages you and draws you closer to the heart of God. Hey, it's uh, Valentine's Day is coming up, and... um... That can be an awesome holiday or just a really bad one. But um, I remember, like, I'm married now, thank God, because I've never been, like, smooth with the ladies. I never was. I was always, like, I get nervous. I, like, I think, like, these really nice things to say to, the, to a girl, and then I would, like, what would come out would be something totally different, you know? Uh, I remember, you know, or I, I remember, you know, I'd be sitting there at dinner, be this beautiful romantic candlelight dinner and you know I'd say something like you know I'd be thinking like wow she looks beautiful in the candlelight and then I'd say something like I think you look better in dim light because <laughs> it just I didn't couldn't say it right you know or, or you know um I you know we'd be sitting there just watching a movie or something and and not doing anything and and you know that game you you play like you know when you're dating someone or you're in love or whatever and you're like what do you want to do I don't know what do you want to do I don't know what do you want to do I don't know what do you want you know you're sitting there doing nothing and you're just happy doing nothing because you're with that person you're like excited that like you could just be with someone and do nothing and you're just very content you know and I'd be sitting next to this girl and I I would want to like express that to her but I'd be so nervous I'd be like I really enjoy not doing things with you It, it it just comes out wrong so here's I'm hoping today what you hear from God's word um, comes out in, in, in a better way than, than so, sometimes I, I might express it. What's going on in here could actually come out here. So I would love it if you would pray with me. I'm gonna spend a moment in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said... All right, so we're starting a new series called Made for This. You, you were made for this. And um, really, here's the deal. You were created by God to worship God. Um, and that, that's part of what we're made for. And we're gonna talk today about the story of the Samaritan woman. And um, it, it's, it's, it's a story in the, in the New Testament in John chapter four. And um, see, many times we think we... we as humans, it's kind of how human nature is, is we want to worship God in, in we, we think God has to be worshiped a certain way, in a certain place, with, you know, certain songs, you know, and depending on the church you go to, you know, I, I know Christians that are like, darn it, we can only worship God with hymns from Germany from the 1600s, the way Jesus used to sing, Right? And then you come to Clovis Hills and it's like, no, we only worship by singing songs from Australia or Reading and skinny jeans, okay? And there must be fog. There's no Holy Spirit if there's no haze, okay? Um, But the truth of the matter is God is, worship is more than that. And you were made to worship God. We talked about in the last series how worship is our obedience to God. And I I wanna talk a little more about what you were made and created to do. So th- there's this story 
in, in the book of John. And Jesus is uh, traveling, and he travels through this region called Samaria. Um, Samaria was kind of out of the way. It was not a place that Jewish people went. They did not like the Samaritans. They did not go into Samaria. It was kind of this place. It was like Ridgecrest. Um, I guess we've got a rivalry now, right? <laughs> it's short colors. But listen, um, they, it just wasn't a place where the Jews went. They, they Really, there was a deep racial hatred between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. And Jesus, for whatever reason, decided we're going to, when we go to Jerusalem, or we go from Jerusalem to, to, to the next place, we're going to travel through Samaria. And all of the disciples, they would have been super nervous about it. They would not have, they would have never, for one, they were simple peasants. They, they lived in the, the Sea of Galilee region. They probably never left there, except maybe a couple times a year to go to Jerusalem. And they always went the same road up through Jericho, up to Jerusalem. And they would never go around and go through Samaria because that's not what you do. That's not what a good Jew does. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. They don't go through Samaria. They don't do any of that. And Jesus is like, yeah, we're going to go this way. So they're nervous even just go, walking through there. And it says in John's gospel that it was late in the day. It was in the afternoon. And Jesus is, and, and is tired from the, the journey. And he, he, they come into this town of Sychar in, in, in Samaria. And he, he sends the disciples, go get some food. And he walks over to this place called Jacob's Well. And he sits down at Jacob's Well and he's hanging out there. And this woman comes, and she comes all by herself. Now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, it, it's kind of a, a, a rule of ladies. Is ladies don't go to the bathroom by themselves. Well, in the ancient world, they don't go to the well by themselves. They always went in the morning together in large groups. So the fact that this woman's coming by herself already shows that she's kind of an outcast. She's not, you know, one of the gals, I guess. You know, it wasn't like, girls morning, we're going to the well. Okay. Um, they, so she comes there and she's Samaritan, by the way. And Jesus is a rabbi. He's not just a Jewish man that didn't talk to women, period, unless it was their, their wife or their mother or their sister. He's also a rabbi and she's a Samaritan. Jewish men didn't talk to Samaritan men, let alone a Samaritan woman. And she comes to the well and he's like, hey, can I have a drink? Can you get me a drink? And she's like, why are you talking to me? Like nervous. And they begin to have this conversation. And she's talking about, you know, he, she's talking about getting him water. And he says, well, listen, um, if you had the water that I give, you'd never thirst again. And she doesn't really understand what he's talking about. Cause it's kind of cryptic and you know, um, She's like, well, tell me where this water is and then I won't have to go to this well ever again because it's a pain. And he says, no, what I give you is living water, a spring of a living water. He was talking about water for a thirsty soul. Really is what he's talking about is him. And they have this conversation and then he points out to her just something very, an observation about her life that no one would have, or that he wouldn't have known. And he goes, so why don't you go back and tell your husband about this living water I offer? And she's like, I'm not married. And he goes, yeah, I know you've been married five times. And the guy you're living with right now, it isn't your husband. And 
This is when, you ever been in an awkward situation and you just try and change the subject? She's like, hey, how about those uh, bulldogs, huh? Yeah, I mean, that's what's going on here. She instantly goes like the religious route. She goes, oh, I see you're a prophet. Oh, you Jews worship in Jerusalem. We worship on the mountain behind us in Samaria right here. And she's trying to change the subject because she's like, oh no, he knows about like that. I've, been, I've had five different husbands and I'm living with this guy now. And, and in that, that culture, that was, that, that was uh, very frowned upon. And, and she just tries to go the religious route and change the subject. And he, be, he has this conversation with her and she's, she's trying to talk about worship. And she says, yeah, you Samaritans, you worship in, in, here in Samaria. And I'll give you the story about why they worship there. And you Jews, worship, the Jews worship at the temple in Jerusalem. And he says, listen, I'm gonna tell you something. A time is coming where it won't matter whether you worship in Samaria or you worship in Jerusalem, that God's true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. And she goes, I know that'll happen when the Messiah comes. And he says, you're looking at him. You're looking at him. So I wanna give you a little bit of, of, of history behind Samaria so you understand what's going on in this conversation and what, why, why they didn't like each other and, and it'll help you understand um, how they saw worship, how we see worship, and then what God sees as worship. So um, in Samaria, um, you have to understand, um, it wasn't always called Samaria, it was called Shechem originally. Everyone say Shechem. Shechem. All the people in the gospel hour say Shechem. Okay, so listen. Um, Shechem is actually the place where Abraham, right? You know, where this woman is in that, that, that area is where Abraham came and God gave Father Abraham the promise. He said, Abraham, you are gonna have children and your offspring are gonna be a blessing to the whole earth and this land is gonna be yours and, and, and you know, you're, you're gonna be amazed by what your family does. So Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, so are you. Let's keep marching on. So, he was there in Shechem, and that's where God gave him the promise. So then um, la later in, in history, he, he has kids, and his kids have kids, and, and um, Jacob is, is, is one of the descendants of Abraham a couple generations down, and Jacob lives there as well, and, and they're, they're there, and um, his, his daughter, a, a woman named uh, Dinah, she actually is, uh, she, she's raped there, in, this, in the city of Shechem. And um, it's a crazy story in Genesis chapter 34. Um, and Jacob's sons come and they trick all the men in the, the city and they tell them like, oh, hey, um, and this is a crazy story in the Bible. Sometimes like, you guys need to read the Old Testament because there's some crazy things going on in there. So after this guy Shechem rapes Dinah, um, the brothers are super mad, so they go to him, and he's like, hey, it's cool. I, actually, I really love her, and I want to marry her, and I'll pay you whatever you want so I can marry this woman. And they were like, you don't have to pay us anything. We just want you and all your tribesmen have to get circumcised. And they were like, really, that's it? And he's like, yeah, that's all we want is for you to get circumcised. So all of them, he made all of them get circumcised, and um, because you're not supposed to do that when you're grown up, it hurts, um, and you're kind of down for a couple days, like two days after they got circumcised, Jacob's sons all went in and killed all the men in the, in the tribe. You're like, that's in the Bible? Yeah. So, it's also, um, a, so, so that, that land is already, right there has already been defiled. 
Like it's, it's, it's Shechem is, is not a good place. But when Moses is in, is in the desert with the Israelites, you know, hundreds of years later, five, six hundred years later, God tells him, when you get into the promised land, when you go back to the land of Canaan, go to Shechem, climb up on the mountain of Mount Ebal and, 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 and um, Mount Gerizim right there at Shechem, and you're going to read, um, have the Israelites read the law out loud and remind them, this is the land. And so what happens is uh, Joshua and all the Israelites go into the promised land. And after they take the promised land, they go to Shechem. They get up on the mountain. There's these two mountains right behind the little city. And they get up there and they, they read the law and they read a series of blessings and curses. Okay, and the blessings are, if you obey God, if you obey the law, this will happen and it'll go well for you. But if you don't obey God, it's gonna go bad for you. And uh, conquering nations are going to come in, and you're going to be um, exiled out, and on and on and on. And it, it was kind of the, these, these conditional promises. If you do this, it'll be good. If you do this, it'll be bad. And they, they read it, and they do it. And then um, the Jews, just, Jews are just like everybody else. Um, they're, 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 they're no different in any way. Um, God gave them the law, and they disobeyed it. Just, I, I, well, I know like the nine o'clock, you guys never disobey God, right? You, you never sin, right? <laughs> Liars. And what happens to the Jewish people is these conquering nations come in and they start conquering Israel, sending their best and brightest off, killing everyone else, um, uh, taking their wives as, as, as slaves and Here's what happens. In that area, Shechem, one of the conquering nations sends some Jews back, but they're not fully Jewish anymore. They've um, now intermarried with these pagan nations. So the Jewish bloodline is, is, is gone. And then not only do they do that, they set up a temple and they start worshiping God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, but also other idols. He's just one among many. So these half-Jewish people, they call them Samaritans, are idol worshipers, and they're, they're blatantly disobeying God, and this is why the Jews hated them. And they had this rivalry, and the Samaritans were like, no, God was first worshiped here, Abraham, the promise was here at this place, you know, and then the Jews are like, nope, God is worshiped here, and you guys are idol worshipers, And at a certain point, the, the, the priest cursed Samaria and the Samaritans then hated the, the, the Jews and um, they, they actually desecrated the temple in 150 uh, BC. They went in and they took the bones of dead bodies and spread them all over the Jewish temple. Talk about a rivalry. All I do is like play practical jokes on my pastor friends in town. But listen, here's what I want you to know about this, this story. There's a deep racial hatred going on and it's all over worship. And this is how we humans screw up worship. That we think we're so superstitious, we think it has to be a certain way, in a certain place, in a certain method, a certain all of that, and we screw it up. And I want, if you're taking notes, I want you to know this. Number one is this, you were made to worship God. You were made to worship God. And, and the truth of the matter is we all worship something. I wanna read to you from John chapter four, verse 10 through 15. This is Jesus talking to the woman. And he says to her, um, Jesus answered her, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also all his his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become them a spring of water welling up in eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. See, the the truth of the matter is we we all worship something. Every one of us, even uh, my, my friends that are atheists, they, we all worship something. That's the truth of the matter with, with all human beings. And see, pretty much um, whatever you worship will consume you. I want you to know that. It will. If you worship money and things, um, and that's where you tap into getting meaning in your life, then those, the pursuit of that will consume you. You will never have enough. You know, people that say they don't worship anything, there's something out there you're worshiping. If you, you know, um, if you worship your own body, if your, your sexuality or your, uh, how you look or any of that is really the most important thing in your life, because whatever the most important thing is in your life is typically the thing you're worshiping. Um, well, you'll always feel ugly. And I'm just gonna let you know, eventually age catch, catches up. And it will... That it, it'll wreck you and it'll plant you. Thank you, Barbara. <laughs> if you worship power, being in charge, being the boss, whatever it is, being in control, you're gonna feel weak and afraid all the time. You'll probably be consumed by anxiety and the, the need to be in more control in your life. If that's the most important thing in your life. I find, um, it doesn't even have to be power, it could just be control. I find, and of course, none of us struggle with control issues in this room, right? Not at all, not at all. But what I, what I find is when um, control is the highest value of our life, um, everything might be in order and we still feel completely out of control. Or we have this anxiety of, what if something bad happens? If you worship intellect, and the most important thing to you is being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid. Um, You'll always feel like you're on the verge of being found out. See, what we revere, we resemble. I need you to understand that. Whatever it is that you revere, you resemble. And see, what happens is, in in our process of worship, is somewhere God, if you're at church today, probably God is somewhere in that list of things that we worship. But what I want you to know is that, that God loves you so much and he understands you were created for worship and you will worship something whether you believe in him or not. And he made you to worship him, that he would be at the top of the list. And when he's not at the top of the list, this is when life gets out of order. This is when it's never enough. It never feels right. You're always thirsting for more of whatever it is that you're worship, worshiping because there's not enough. See, we sang, uh, the, the youth band played this morning and they played a song about peace, about the shalom of God. 
One of God's names is Jehovah Shalom. And you will never have that peace until he is at the top of your list of things. So, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a great example. Ralph Waldo Emerson, he said this, and I think, I think it's pretty brilliant. He said, what we are worshiping is what we are becoming. Okay? Um, in, in other words, like, our, the things we deify become our identity. So the most important things become our identity. And um, you see it happen all the time. I was talking to um, a pastor. I spoke at a pastor's breakfast yesterday morning. And they're like, what do we do about the kids? The kids, oh, the kids. You know, and that's every generation of pastors does that. So you know, like they, when I was a teenager, they were saying it about us. They're so angry and angsty and they like heavy metal music. And, you know, and now we're like, oh, they do is look at their phones. What's going on with the kids? You know, and they were so worried, worried about him. And then, and one of the guys said, well, listen, nowadays, like they, the internet shapes their identity. I'm so scared for them. And I was like, well, um, you know, the, the devil, the, he just doesn't have a lot of new tricks. He does that every generation. He goes, what do you mean? I go, well, when I was a teenager, music shaped my identity. I was a punk rocker and a surfer. I was not identified by Christ. I was identified by the crowd I hung out with. I go, it's not much different. Just new, new technology to do it. I did it on cassette tapes. They're doing it on a phone. But listen, whatever is most important, you worship. So I'll give you two examples of what Emerson's talking about. Charles Darwin, okay? You guys all know who Darwin is. Um, he, he said this, I, I wanna read this to you. He said, um, in, in his biography, he said, my chief enjoyment and sole employment through life has been scientific work. That was his God, okay? He says, from this work, he added, I am never idle as it is the only thing that makes life endurable, endurable to me. If you wanna know what your God is, what your true thing you worship is, the thing that if it was taken away from you, you don't think you could exist. It could be your children, it could be your career. It could be your status. It could be your money. It's the thing you lay awake at night fretting about a lot of times. So, so what effect did this have on him, making science his God? And there's nothing wrong with science. We have any scientists in the room? Woo -woo. Way to go, scientists. Good job. Okay, listen. We need more of you in this room. So listen. Um, he said this in his biography too. I don't have the quote on it, but he said, up to age 30, poetry gave me great pleasure and I took intense delight in Shakespeare. But now for many years, I found it so intolerably dull, it nauseated me. I'm the same way with Shakespeare. I'm gonna be honest. Listen, I have no idea what he's saying. And then he says, my mind seems to have become a kind of machine for grinding general laws out of a large collection of facts. And then he says, this law, this is a loss of my happiness. So he, he misses poetry. He misses Shakespeare. He misses the fact it doesn't give him pleasure anymore. And then he says, I've become a withered leaf for every subject except science. And then he went on to explain how um, even, even that that science can be this great evil, okay? So there's nothing, you're not evil if you're a scientist and if you like science, some of you are like, I like science. I know, me too, but listen. He made science his God. 
okay? And for some of you, it may not be science. It may be you made farming your God, or you made motherhood, or you made, um, you know, the, the San Diego Chargers, heaven forbid, okay? I'm gonna give you another example of a person, okay? So we have Charles Darwin on one side. You have a guy named Jonathan Edwards, one, uh, probably the greatest American theologian. And at age 19, he said this, resolved to cast my soul on the Lord Jesus, to trust and confide in him and concentrate, consecrate myself wholly to him. And see, later in his life, in his biography, he, he, he writes about how Jesus, his object of worship, nourished and affected his soul for, for, um, for years. And look what he said about Jesus. He said, it brought an expressible purity, brightness, peacefulness, and ravishment to the soul. In other words, it made the soul feel like a field or a garden. So one guy, his soul was a withered leaf, and the other was a flourished garden or a field. See, we all worship something, but you were made to worship God. And he's not mad that you're not. But this morning, he begs to be the, your first affection. And you would be amazed what happens when you put him as your first affection. So number two, if you're taking an outline, is this. See, worship is um, obedience out of love and gratitude. It's obedience out of love and gratitude. And... Um, Here's an interesting thing. At that 1040 service, uh, we're doing a child dedication. It's a cool story. I want to tell you about it. Uh, back in August, um, there's this family. They came to uh, our Molly Day celebration. And then they came to, they came to church. And uh, when they came to church, they accepted Jesus. Uh, mom and dad came forward and got a bulb. And the um, kid came forward as well. And they have a little baby, little tiny guy. And they, they accepted Christ. And it, it, was, it was so fun, the, the Delgadillo family, right? And we were so excited for them. They started coming to church every week and trying to get plugged in. And then eventually they were like, hey, pastor, um, we want to dedicate our children to God. And I was like, that's awesome, man. Let's do this. He goes, yeah, but there's a problem. Um, we're not married. And I was like, I, you know, and his son looks like he's about eight years old. And I'm like, dude. Sounds like eight years old. Let's just get married. Let's do it. I go, how about this? How about we dedicate your kids, but before we dedicate your kids, I'll just marry you in front of the church. And he was like, we can do that? And I'm like, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> All the details people were like, what are you doing, BD? You're like a hurricane. I know, it's awesome. <laughs> so, so, Here's what he's doing. It's an act of worship. He's stepping into obedience. I, I want to raise my children in the Lord. If I'm going to do that, I need to get married. I need to make this commitment, this covenant to her and the covenant to God. That's an act of worship. And then after the service is done, him and his oldest son are going to crawl in the baptismal and get baptized. Okay? So like right there is... Without ever singing a song, this guy, this woman, this family are worshiping because worship is always a response to the, to the thing that is important to you, to, 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 to God. And um, here's the problem though, is we are, um, and not, we're just, we're inherently selfish. We inherently want things the way we want them. We want them on our terms. Um, not to mention we're 21st century Westerners, so we're used to getting everything on our terms. Um, I'll have a skinny free vanilla latte with extra hot cream. And um, could you make, a, make sure that it has a little heart on the top? And by the way, make sure that's non-fat heavy whipping cream 
cream that's zero calories. And um, I'd like it in a golden cup, please. That's what we're used to. We, get, we, have, we have it our way. But, but the, 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 the truth is, um, we tend to take worship and we think like, God, I'm obeying you. I'm worshiping you. So give me what I want. That's not worship. God, I'm praying the right way. I'm doing this. I'm at church. So give me what I need. That's not worship. See, the story of the prodigal son, I don't know if you know, um, the, the real story of the prodigal son is not so much about the son that went off to Vegas and was living wild, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's only one part of the story. The main part of the story, though, is about the older brother who stayed home, obeyed the father, followed all the rules, and then was mad at the father for welcoming that son home because that son took one-third of his stuff. And I've obeyed you, dad, and you, you're giving him the fattened calf. That fattened calf was for me at my wedding day. That's my fattened calf. And he went off and squandered it on, on sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I've done nothing but obey you. How dare you? That's not worship. And this is what Jesus was trying to say. So we try and, we get superstitious and we try and like coerce God into our will, what we want. That's why you have like in our country today and in Africa, something called the prosperity gospel where you just declare it and God's supposed to give it to you. That's not true. See, the ultimate act of worship is you saying, God, you're in charge. I trust you. Your will be done. I'll lean in ruthlessly, when it, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't want to, I'm trusting you that you're gonna, you're gonna pull me through it. And see, for some of you, I think uh, probably the best thing you could do worship-wise, if you wanna become a better worshiper, I'm just, I wanna give you just some easy like steps you could do this week just to be a better worshiper. Obviously, you need to trust Jesus, but some of you... Um, some of you, you just need to go take our 201 class. You really do. They teach you habits of being a great worshiper, how to read God's word, how to pray, how to be in community, how to do those things, how to give, all of those things. Some of you, you need to like listen, just listen to some more worship music. Pull Spotify up instead of conservative talk radio or liberal talk radio. There is no liberal talk radio, but listen. I guess there is, but not in Fresno. Here's the deal. Like just start listening to worship music over, heaven forbid, whatever you listen to. I, I could name a bunch of people, but whatever. Just a daily time with God. Make church attendance, corporate worship, a priority in your life. Your kids need it. Those of you that are parents, your kids need the church. They need each other. They won't walk with God going to church once a quarter. They might be a really good at the sport club sport they're in, but they won't walk with God. And then another way you can worship, this is pretty cool. You can invite people to church. That's an act of worship. Did you know that? Here's the coolest part about this woman, this Samaritan woman. 
At the end of the story, John chapter four, it says here, it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So she went back and said, I met this guy. You gotta come see him. She was not a theologian. She was not a pastor. She had no religious training. She didn't take our 201 class. She didn't even take our 101 class. She just went back to her town and said, you gotta meet this guy, Jesus. You gotta come see this guy, Jesus. And a bunch of people come out and it says that many from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This woman living a sinful life, probably wouldn't be accepted in most churches, most synagogues, all of that. Jesus comes to her, loves her, loves her right where she's at. And do you know what? You know who make the best worshipers sometimes? The best worshipers are the most jacked up people. I find the more pious I get, the more I like become rigid in my worship and who I am. But when you realize just how much you've been saved from your sin and you're fresh out of that, that's when worship is sweet. And for some of you, you've been Christians for 50 years and you forgot just how saved you are and just how far God's brought in you. And that demands a response. So I tell you this, Bible says it very clearly. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone comes in, I will listen. He stands at the door of your heart today. For some of you, you don't know where you stand with God. You've been worshiping other things, but today you sense the gentle whisper of God calling you home to him. Don't walk away from that. It says in John 1, 12, but as many as received him to those who believe in his name. So when you receive him and you believe in him, he gave them the right to become children of God. And we have a tradition here at Clovis Hills that whenever someone praise that prayer to receive Jesus. We give him a bulb and a Bible and this bulb represents Jesus, the light of the world in you. And we ask you to do something kind of brave is uh, while we're, you know, if you prayed that prayer, uh, at the end of the service, we're singing this song and we ask you, because the Bible says, if you believe, um, believe in your heart and declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. We ask you to just come forward and get your bulb. And I'm up here and I pray a blessing over you and we high five you and the church cheers you on like you won the Super Bowl. Right, nine o'clock? That, yeah. Listen, they even do it in the gospel hour next door. There's people that come to Jesus all the time. It takes a bit of courage, but it's the best decision you'll ever make. So today, this could be your day. I just encourage you, lean into that. Let's pray. Hi, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Hey, I encourage you to download the Clovis Hills app on your phone. With the app, you can do all kinds of things like prayer requests, live notes, giving. I also encourage you to check out our uh, Facebook Live page if if you want to watch online. You can come to our services live. They're Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast.